Hey there, I'm Osman Faruqi, and welcome to The Culture, a weekly show from Schwartz Media where we take a deep dive into the world of music, streaming, TV, film, everything in arts and entertainment. Today on the show, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. We're going to tell the story of one song, this song. It's called Love Tonight, and it's by an Australian duo called Shouse. No, it was recorded in 2017 in a small garage studio in Melbourne's inner city suburb of Collingwood. The song was released, it was played at a few small gigs and warehouse parties, but then it kind of disappeared. It's a pretty common experience for a lot of Australian acts. But now it's back. Somehow, this track has become one of the biggest songs in the world right now. It's been streamed millions and millions of times in the past few weeks, and it's rocketing up the charts. As Europe and the United States reopen, the song has become an unofficial anthem of a post-COVID world. It's playing at stadiums, at sport events and huge festivals. It's even been remixed by David Guetta. So how did an Australian song recorded by a little-known duo four years ago become the biggest track in the world? And what exactly is it about this song that has seen it resonate with so many people? That's what we're going to find out today on The Culture. Guys, tell me what has happened to you in the past couple of weeks. What have, what have they been like? <laughs> After you. <laughs> you know, exponential increase in attention, I guess. Um, we've long been keeping an eye on this little song of ours, what was once a little song of ours, puttering away around the world and slowly following, clicking through its statistics on Spotify, watching this graph climb gradually, gently up and up and up and up and then finally exponentially and dramatically uh, from day to day. Um, so, yeah, we've just seen our song explode around the world. and Which I guess brings us to this interview. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Thanks for noticing. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, can we start just by getting you guys one by one to introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Ed. I'm one half of Shouse. I'm on the synths and the drum machines and the production. And I also work as a community manager at Collingwood Yards in Melbourne. Hi, I'm Jack. I'm uh, the other half of Shouse, um, and I don't know exactly what I do in Shouse besides <laughs> everything. <laughs> besides, well, yeah, hang around, watch. But um, and uh, my day job is a primary school music teacher. Tell me about the music you guys were making separately before you guys met. I was in this weird uh, little, I guess, um, cosmic dance band called Io um, with my buddy Tony Barneo from New Zealand. Uh, Live saxophone, beats and um, ethereal cosmic soundscapes, that might be said. (laughs) And what about you, Jack? What was your musical background? I've been in sort of local Melbourne bands. Um, The Harpoons was one that I was in for a long time and that was with my brother and a few other friends that I'd grown up with um, because I grew up in a sort of a folky... um, 
yeah, folky music world. Okay, so you've both been doing your own musical projects separately. Tell me about how you came together. Where did you meet? We met across a dance floor in 24 Moons in Northcote. There was a brief period there when 24 Moons, which is an old strip club, was a really special place for a few months there. Mm. And I remember seeing Ed, yeah, just across a, a room upstairs with kind of a, a paper bag, which, <laughs> which was such a good... It was about this time of year or a few months earlier. Yeah, yeah. It was... Um, 2015. Yeah, deep paper bag. mushroom season. I was going to ask what's in the paper bag, but you just went there. Yeah, yeah and yeah. and it was it was Merry Creek mushrooms. Merry Creek, to be frank, local, local gorgeous. organic. Yeah, yes, and it was you know it was we really just started making music, so it was sort of we had a really of, special night that night, and then, we did have a special, <laughs> but it was it was built off music, and then sort of friendship grew. So you guys both have a musical background. You meet on the dance floor of this Northcote nightclub. Your eyes lock from across the room. You have a great night on shrooms. You decide to get together, get into Ed's studio in Collingwood and start making music together. Tell me about that experience. How did you musically collide? Yeah, well, Jack came very much from a folk bush camp music pedigree. (laughs) And I came very much from a Brunswick bedroom computer music pedigree and the first time we ever got together outside of the first time we met was in that studio where we wrote Love Tonight and that we set up a basic beat on a drum machine. I was playing on my little MS-20 synthesizer. Jack, we sat him down at this big old MIDI keyboard plugged into a plug-in in the computer with a weird flute setting on it. Um, and so it was, it was synth, it was a flute sample and a drum machine. And yeah, you're making me cry. <laughs> it, was, it was the and first one first... little just touch. No, but it was beautiful. And that was the first track you guys first track we wrote. First thing we it's did, this yeah. track we're talking about today, which is Love Tonight, and I was playing a bass line, Jack was playing... The weirdest flute melody, <laughs> which can often get lost in the song, so I suggest anyone listening back to it, yeah, listen, listen for the flute. For the flute. Yep. It's quite present, but you miss it if you're not listening for it. And started singing along the words. It was the the meeting of kind of, I like writing songs, and mm. sort of, I'm, I don't have the production computery skills at all. And so come along with chords or little ideas and Ed is just great at just sort of banging through, banging into production or like drilling into it or something. There's something about, I don't know, I've done it with a few other people, but Ed just like goes hard and far, harder and faster than anyone. <laughs> you know, and sloppier, you know, it's kind of like it's all wacky and weird stuff, but it just is... How long did it take you guys before you had the track kind of largely as we we hear it now? Oh, like years. Years and years. So we wrote this, <laughs> yeah, we wrote like a sprawling 10-minute version that day and kind of faded away and sat on hard drives for a while and then one day it occurred to us we needed a choir. Yeah. And we put together a big event. We bought some pizzas and some beers. We hired out a warehouse in Brunswick and got one single VHS camera and another one that was broken and just got the gang together, a bunch of 
what was at the time and the song kind of became an ode to the Melbourne underground electronic scene at the time and we got together some of what you might call the quote unquote stars of the scene at the time yeah. Tell me about the decision to to bring on the choir because I feel like that added this whole extra element to the track. And I, when I first heard the track and I watched the music video, I thought, like, had you guys just been watching, like, We Are The World or Look, do they that, know it's Christmas? That is exactly it, yes. That, that is exactly <laughs> what we were doing. And I think a lot of that comes from the community music stuff, which is where you kind of do, you know, you ultimately want everyone to be able to be involved. Mm. Um and so it's it's less of the exclusive side, and so that's why we we mentioned some of the names of the singers that people you know would have known and and were our friends. But there was actually a whole bunch of so other friends others. who were just our mates, and they are the you know they are just as important on this track um, when you got that big choir. So that's interesting because that was a question I was going to ask you whether or not because that that choir creates this sense of togetherness, belonging, community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was going to ask how deliberate that was, and it sounds like it was very deliberate. Yeah, and it was it was the lack of the ability to get every you know famous Australian musician, <laughs> <laughs> which would have been fun. Did you reach out to any famous Australian musicians? I, uh, we no, I don't <laughs> think we. I think we would. We sort of realized at a certain point that it was just if we just used a few of these mates. And it was about the community. You know, yeah, like was, um, at the end of the day, particularly retrospectively, you look at it and you're like, the song is about togetherness, is about connectedness, is about solidarity. And that is only properly communicated through an amateur choir, <laughs> really. <laughs> We'll be back after this break. So you guys, you finished the track. You've been working on it for a few years in the background. You add this choir, you record this video on VHS, you drop it, Love Tonight comes out, and obviously you blow up, quit your day jobs, and you're everywhere, <laughs> right? Yes, the classic musician story. <laughs> uh, no, rather in more, um, no, yeah. more, more the actual classic musician story, you release this song and it just slowly spikes and disappears into the void. Yeah. I think like a very common experience for artists, for musicians, is you put your heart and your soul and everything into it and somehow you think everyone's going to care about it. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the actual reaction uh, when yeah. it went out? Lukewarm. Lukewarm. Lukewarm, yeah. Best, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A few people got around it. A few people was... in Europe we got a little nod from. But it was, yeah, lukewarm at best. Like we played it with all our friends. We had huge sing-alongs in clubs and we were like, the song's done what it was meant to do. Mm. But it had an ulterior motive, I guess. Mm. But here we are now in 2021 talking about this song you released four years ago. <laughs> yeah. So what happened? Something has happened, right? <laughs> I remember in 2019, I just stumbled across this video on YouTube that someone had found and re-uploaded it under their own channel. And it had like two million plays, which at the time was astonishing. And it was Lithuanian person. Mm. All the comments, all the comments were in Lithuanian hundreds of comments 
And the play count just kept going up and lots of excited comments in Lithuanian and started to Google Translate some of these comments, <laughs> trying to ask people questions in English and piece together what was going on. Okay, so Love Tonight enters Europe through Lithuanian YouTube. <laughs> what happens then? Did the song just kind of keep spreading? Well, I'm the big data guy in the band. <laughs> Jack loves to ignore data, but he loves the numbers when it's I give them to It's not clear to me what Jack does in the band, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> to write the song. Um, following the comments and following the data, when Europe was in the depths of their lockdown, the song really started to see exponential growth and surges, and I think a lot of people found a lot of meaning in the connectedness and solidarity and the lyrics, and they'd send it to their friends and the film videos of them singing it to each other. Something about the song, which is the same reasons we made it for with the Melbourne scene, which is solidarity, connectedness, being there for each other, touch, you know, were the same principles that were really resonating with people at the time. And something about the song and something about that moment allowed it to communicate to both the lockdown and sharing that love and as we'll go on to the release and celebrating being together. So there's something about writing that perfect line of the middle. And look, that may be an over-reading or an over-analysis of the phenomenon, but that's how I see it. Right, so it sort of plays this melancholy role, soundtracking the world as we enter lockdown. But over the past few weeks, as the Northern Hemisphere has entered summer and started reopening, the song's numbers started spiking again. When did you learn that was happening? Were you guys checking your phones? Were you getting tagged on social media? Our label called us and was like, guys, this is getting serious. This is starting to reach the upper echelons of plays globally. You need to get back on board. So we got an Instagram account again, right? Because we. So you guys didn't even have an Instagram account. At no, this we, Jack had deleted it. In yeah. some kind You'd of, give it up. Yeah, we, some kind of yes. philosophical yeah, twist. point. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> And we got an Instagram account again, so we were getting 500,000 plays a day or something, and we had about 200 followers on Instagram. Um, and we started seeing, yeah, the tags, the plays going up. I checked the play count every day, and we just started seeing this astonishing exponential growth. But particularly in the last month, it just started hitting some pretty absurd numbers. And I think one of the big triggers was when we hit the the top 200 Shazam charts, which is an interesting chart because Shazam, it's not a radio chart, it's not a hits chart. BBC Radio 1. Essential new tune. Now, most essential new tunes are brand new to your ears. Shazam counts how many times people hear your song and go, what's that track? And pull their phone out and press that button and hold their phone up because they're, so, they're feeling something, right? Mm. This record actually came out, believe it or not, four years ago, 2017. And we, our song is a weird song for that chart. Like, the song, it's, it's not a usual pop song. Like, to be honest, like, it's a rough... Like, Jack was talking about my production techniques and stuff and our working together. It's, it's a rough, raw, chugging song. And to have it in the top 20 of the Shazam charts is quite bizarre. Which means by the summer of 2021, it's been streamed over 50 million times, which is pretty damn large. It's already out there. You're probably going to know it. But we want to give it that accolade of an essential new tune because I think it's going to go on to a whole new level from here. It definitely was hard to connect because it felt so foreign. It felt so, you know, it wasn't actually, I'm a, I'm a very, I don't know, physical, tangible sort of person and there wasn't any connection with my reality. Mm. It was bizarre. Yeah. yeah, it was sort of this purely 
um, algorithmic numbers-based thing. And we saw the videos. We saw these amazing things that people were doing. Amazing parties. Huge festivals. And, and it was just, it, I think almost it was a bit of the sort of sadness of not being able to yeah. <laughs> be involved that made me want to disconnect a bit until, uh, you know, about the last couple of weeks when um, it just did start to feel like, you know, Europe seems to be a bit open, you know. I'm watching Wimbledon. There's a big, there's a lot of crowds, you know. Playing the song at Wembley during the Euro. Yeah. That's a big one. <laughs> That's the stuff. Like, Do they really? Yeah. yeah. No way. That must be surreal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Was there, has there been one moment so far? I mean, it all sounds very surreal, but has there been one or two particular things, whether it's at Wembley or, or a particular show or, or something like that, that you're like, whoa? Well, um, so there's actually a video online of David Getter making the remix. This is all I'm going to use from the record. Just the hook. All right, so that's it. Um, I think it's sounding really crazy now. Uh, a few hours later, uh, we got it. So um... Apparently, he just said this is a huge track right now. So David Getter saying that is something. Yes. <laughs> but it's not quite ravey enough for me, so I'm going to do this edit <laughs> for my set tonight. And we're just like, that's incredible. David Getter played our track. Wow. And then the next day, we get an email from the label going, Hey guys, David Getter wants to do a remix. And that's just jaw dropping. You're like, yeah. okay, one of those things probably yeah. won't happen, sure. Yeah, Next yeah. day, here's the remix. <laughs> He's done it. So that would be one of the more mm. surreal moments. Yep. That's pretty tasteful in the scheme of things. It's totally totally tasteful, yeah. yeah. We'll be back after the break. I think it's really interesting that it's in Europe where the song has really taken off. I I was thinking about why that might be the case. I mean, the hook is really simple, right? And even if you don't know a lot of English, you can get the concept of love tonight. Exactly. It's a feeling and it's a time. This is the moment right now tonight that I want love. Yeah. It's kind of perfect for a club or a festival vibe. D- does that make sense to you guys? Yeah. I think Absolutely. yes. I mean we've been thinking about this a bit and I think uh, and you're right. The song is most popular in non-English speaking countries. And a few of the key principles I've thought about and we've thought about is you hear the chorus once, you can sing it again. You speak English as a second or additional or maybe not even speak English and you can maybe kind of get what's going on and sing it. You can turn to your friend on the dance floor and look in their eyes and sing it to them. Mm. And that is one of the key principles, I think, that it's about tonight, you know. It's about each other and you can sing it to each other. And I think that's that's. I think that principle is part of the reason why it really connects. Yeah. And, and just to go back to something you guys were saying before about the, the, the like, obviously with a, with a chorus, with a choir, there's 
a lot of different components. There's just the fact that you're listening to layered vocals, which evokes this sense of community. Like it sounds like it's just yeah. a bunch of people who really love each other singing a song together. Yeah. And do you feel like that community element of it, the fact that it does sound like people coming together, is also why it might have connected at this particular moment in, in history? I think that's totally. a good analysis. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. In creating the song and in creating the recording of the song, we were creating, just trying to engineer a moment for our friends to come together and sing together and create that feeling. And I think I think you're right, people hear a bunch of friends singing together and being together and partying together, and that's kind of what they're craving now more than anything. And when they can actually do it together and express the song together now, which is why we're seeing the song explode around the world right now as it, you know, quote-unquote unlocks maybe for a bit. Mm. Um, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Oz. And what's next for you guys? You have you said you shut down the Shouse Instagram account. <laughs> You'd gone to your day jobs. We're back, baby. Yeah. We're back. Yeah. <laughs> back in the studio? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. We've got no one knows anything except one song. Um, we're, really, we're really in a moment of sort of like creation <laughs> like pure we don't know where yeah. to go um but we're loving making music again yeah, we just spent the weekend out at, at jack's yeah. folks place in the country and jack's dad makes a lot of a lot of weird incredible instruments he's an instrument inventor he's got hundreds mm. of them and wow. we've, we've been recording them sampling them making tracks we recorded some frogs in the pond yeah the lake frogs. The, the avalanches the watch out yes <laughs> yeah well, that's exactly right yeah, that's where we uh, um, need to but go. we're really excited to be making music again and we hope yeah to... oh it's it's the most glorious uh you know sort of triumphant kind of feeling that people like this this old song you know yeah it, it just it's that moment of kind of like affirming why we did it why we kind of do music um yeah. and it and the fact that it, you know, I've been able to find this great place in a little primary school in Brunswick, um, you know, and they are so supportive of me. Do the kids know that you're a huge star now in they, Europe? They will hopefully soon. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't. <laughs> no one's come on. No, they will when they listen to this. But then, then when they tune in at 7am, yeah. yeah. No, the, the kids are great because they don't care. They just would never care if you, and they just take you in the moment and you do fun stuff and then they're, you know, you have a great time. To touch on what you were asking before, like, I think it reaffirms what, why we make music, which for me and Jack is largely about bringing people together, inspiring community, inspiring connectedness, inspiring solidarity. I know it would sound so cheesy, but like genuinely we, we believe in the power of music and collective experiences to to bring people together. Thanks so much for chatting to me about it. Thanks it's an for absolute pleasure. Thank you for having yeah. us. Thanks for listening to the show. The Culture will be back in your feeds next week, as usual. On the next episode, we're going to be exploring the campaign to free Britney Spears. We got a lot of messages from our listeners asking us to delve into it, and I really hope it delivers. If you've got any ideas for things you want us to cover, any thoughts about the show, you can let us know on Instagram. We're at theculture.pod. And if you've missed our previous episodes, go and check them out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. 
The Culture is a weekly show from Schwartz Media. It's produced by Bez Zoder and Atticus Basto. Our editor-in-chief is Eric Jensen, and our theme music is by Hermitude. Special thanks to Alex Gal for production on this week's episode. I'm Osman Faruqi. See you next week.